Of course, uh, there's nursery care for the younger kids, and all children are welcome to stay throughout the majority of worship. So I welcome you again to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the pastor here, and we are now in the second part of our worship experience, the forming time, where we talk and learn and listen. I also want to welcome all of those joining us through our website, www.findnewlifeumc.org, or online through our podcast at Find New Life UMC. Let's have a word of prayer as we continue our Not a Fan series. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit into our presence, into our hearts, into our very beings in this place, in this time. We ask that you set our hearts on fire with your passion, with your grace, with your beauty, that we may truly desire above all things to be followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us hear this scripture in a new way. Help us hear this challenge in a new way and allow us to see how we may not just be fans, but be followers. Amen. So last week we asked a simple question. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Now we're not asking you to answer that right away. In fact, it's a quite difficult question. So we're spending a a, a very long amount of time to answer this question. There is a book by Kyle Eidelman that goes with the series. There is a daily devotional that you can get called The Follower's Journal that goes with the series Bless you, you can meet on Wednesday night at 5.30 with form, which is a completely different kind of study um, than we've ever done. Very, uh, very cool. So, and feel welcome because we basically watch a video, a long, very well done video, and then um, talk about that and reflect on that. So just a lot of different ways to engage in this material. Um, but that's the question we want to look at. So as we continue to explore if we're a fan or if we're a follower, we need to return to our theme scripture, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, whatever with you, get those out. It's going to be on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's a pretty amazing statement. But we sometimes neglect the very first part. Jesus says, anyone. Anyone can come follow Jesus. That's a very important distinction to make. Jesus means anyone. Unfortunately, we we live in a world where anyone does not always mean everyone. When I went off to college, I decided to find a church because it seemed like a good thing to do at the time. And there were two churches in the town where I went to college. They were right across the street from one another. In case you got bored from the sermon in one, you could just go across the street to the other one, I guess. I'm not really sure why else you would build a church across the street from a church. But... That was the case. Now, I looked at both of those churches, but one of them in particular caught my attention because they sent me a letter. They sent all of the college students a letter, I assume. But they sent a letter, and this is what it said. Come to College Sunday when we welcome all college students to our church. It's nice. Here's what got my attention. College students who come 
will meet a host family who will take them out for lunch, help them connect to our church, and provide support for them during the school year. Anyone is welcome. Sounded pretty good. The offer of free food, in fact, was uh, the most important thing you could do for any college student. Free lunch was pretty much like the Holy Grail at that point in our lives. So I went. And I was the only college student who went. I wore nice clothing. I introduced myself to people. I introduced myself to people time and time again. I asked about the ministries of the church. I asked about um, the choir. I asked about Bible studies. I asked about what was going on. But I wasn't welcome. I wasn't paired with a host family. I wasn't engaged with anyone who did not engage or whom I did not engage first. I was not even given lunch. And it was not free that day. I had to pay for it, I suppose. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of God using people who are stubborn. And I will not say God is using me for things to the extent that he used those people. But I can certainly say I am stubborn. So I went to that church for over a year. Introduced myself every week. I was part of Bible studies every Sunday after church, although I was never invited to go to lunch anywhere. I introduced myself to the pastor for over a year every Sunday, and the pastor never remembered my name, which is why I feel awful when I don't remember your names. I know most of your names, obviously, but it takes me a while to remember. I asked to be part of the choir or in, in, you know, looked at the choir, and I, I was at my college choir, but I was never invited to be part of that choir. Because apparently anyone wasn't welcome. For people on the outside, things like this are a little confusing and hurtful, and they start to make us feel jaded. So when Jesus says anyone is welcome, we ask ourselves, really? Anyone? Or we ask ourselves, what's the catch? When Jesus said anyone, though, he meant it. There was not a catch. There were no strings attached. He didn't say it, but really had a list of qualifications you had to meet. And although we may doubt it today, reading this passage, the people of Jesus' time, people who Jesus met in the streets, knew when Jesus said anyone, he meant anyone. All they needed for proof was to look at his disciples. Now, a little bit about rabbis and Talmuds. Jesus was a rabbi, which is a teacher. And, and yes, he was a home, homeless teacher and he was a little unconventional, but he was a rabbi. And rabbis taught God's words. Uh, in particular, they taught the Jewish scriptures. Most of all, or especially, they taught the first five books of the Bible or the Torah, the law, the books of Moses. And each rabbi, who is greatly respected, greatly admired to this day, had a group of Talmuds or disciples or students. 
And that, that group followed them, learned from them, and would eventually carry on their traditions and their teachings. Generally speaking, Talmuds were exceptionally uh, exceptional and very exclusive. Most people did not meet the qualifications to be a student of a rabbi, any rabbi, regardless of how well they were respected. So most people in Jesus' time, most Hebrew men, would become a tradesperson, a fisherman, a stonemason, or even work for the Roman government. So the Talmuds were something very, very special. Now here's some of the requirements to be a Talmud. A Talmud, uh, uh, to, to kind of go apply to be a Talmud for a specific rabbi, there was an extensive application process that could take a, a very long period of time. Talmuds were expected by the time they became students. We're not talking about children. We're talking about adults, or, or at least adults in that, in that time and place. So maybe even 13 to 17. But by the time they applied to be a student of a rabbi, they were expected to have an extremely vast knowledge of Scripture, even have memorized the entire Talmud. A rabbi would actually uh, quiz them for days on end, and they would ask, to, uh, ask the Talmud or, or the prospective Talmud to recite an entire book or an entire uh, a part of Scripture. They would ask in Leviticus, how many times is the word Lord used? In Deuteronomy, how many times does the number four appear? And remember, they didn't have chapters and verses and everything was on scrolls back then. So it was much, much harder. I've even hear, heard it, although it's, it's just kind of a, one of those myth kind of things, that a, a rabbi would take a pin and stick it through, of course, Scripture was on scrolls, and stick the pin through a scroll. Let's say they had a scroll of Isaiah. Stick a pin through the scroll of Isaiah and say, what word does this pin hit? every single word through that scroll. That was the kind of level of intense knowledge that the student was expected to have before they became a student. This is kind of like applying to Harvard or applying to one of those great schools. You are expected to already be great. Now this worked both ways. Rabbis had to have kind of an impressive list of qualifications because the better the Talmuds, the more respected the rabbi was. The brighter the students, the more power and prestige the rabbi had. So every rabbi looked to have the best class, the best students. Now we don't know a lot about the 12 disciples, the apostles. In fact, we know quite a, uh, quite a little bit uh, from Scripture, and then we kind of have some tradition about each of them post-Gospel. But here's an overview. These are Jesus's Talmuds. This was the class of 12 that Jesus chose among all other people. Several of them were fishermen. A couple of them were actually Talmud students of Jesus's cousin John, who was, if you remember, a little out there himself. One of them was a zealot, which meant he was a little unstable and wanted to personally overthrow the Roman Empire. And one of them, whose name was Matthew, was a tax collector. And I want to talk about Matthew quickly to illustrate when Jesus said anyone. He meant anyone. Matthew was a tax collector. He did not make the cut 
to be a Talmud. Maybe he wasn't smart enough. Maybe he didn't have the kind of training. Maybe he forgot how many, uh, who, who begat who in numbers. I don't know. He didn't make the cut. His family may not have had a, a family business or a trade that he could learn. He was not able to do the things that many other people were able to do. So he became a tax collector. Now, no one particularly likes taxes, but we have to think about tax collecting in the time that Jesus lived in this Roman oppressed ancient Near East. A tax collector went around to people in his community, people that he may have grown up with, known all his life, and he took money from them, and that money did not go to pay for the bettering of the community. It did not go to pay for social services and the welfare of orphans and widows. It did not go to build better roads, although sometimes it probably did in this case. But for the most part, it did not go to better the community that the taxes were be taken from. It went to the Roman Empire. And so tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors who worked for the Roman Empire, the empire that was oppressing the Jewish people at that time, they were hated by their own people. The religious thought that they were unclean because they were associating and working for the Roman Empire, the Gentiles. Most people, the people that lived in the community, viewed them as traitors. But when Jesus said anyone, he meant anyone. So Matthew became a Talmud. And everyone knew when they saw that group of 12, Jesus meant what he said. So there's this buzz about this rabbi who just accepts anyone and people started talking about it. And people started asking themselves this question, maybe I can become a Talmud too. After all, becoming a Talmud was one of the best opportunities for a Jewish man of that time. People who had given up on all of their dreams of all of their hopes maybe started to reconsider the idea. In fact, even women seemed to be able to become Talmuds of Jesus. When Jesus says anyone can follow him, he really means it. He meant it 2,000 years ago. He means it today. Now, if we hear Jesus' open invitation and believe it, it sounds pretty good. Until we realize Jesus is inviting more than just us. Now, we like to feel special. We like to feel like, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus is inviting me. Yes, Jesus has chosen me to be a disciple. But we have created places all across our world which aren't very welcoming. Which don't kind of have this same sense of anyone can follow Jesus. I don't know why, for example, I wasn't welcome at that church, but obviously I didn't fit some of the qualifications. And we do create qualifications in our churches, in our lives, in our families. Look at churches across our nation. You are welcome if you dress a certain way. You are welcome if you act a certain way. You are welcome as long as you believe this particular doctrine or hold this particular political position. Now, John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church, who we've talked about before, he lived in England in the 18th century. And in those days, the front of the church, the front pews, were reserved and bought by rich and important people in the community. 
so that when they came to church, they could sit up front and everyone could see that they were there. Now, sadly, those people didn't come to church very often. And so the front pews, which had been bought, were generally empty. So John Wesley, being kind of the rabble-rouser that he was, and we talked about that in, in our, one of our summer series, he went to the mines and he went to the fields and he went and found laborers in factories and he took them dirt and all and he marched them into churches and sat them in the front row. And guess what? People didn't appreciate that. Because those people weren't welcome. Those people didn't fit the qualifications. But Jesus got rid of the qualifications. Not only that, He got rid of the excuses. When Jesus said anyone, He broke down barriers that kept people from following and coming into a relationship with God and coming into a relationship with the great teacher. He also makes those excuses fall uh, null and void. The fisherman who hated his life that complained that his friend Jimmy growing up had money and his father knew somebody and so he became a Talmud, but I didn't become a Talmud. I'm just making this up, you know. He had no excuse. He could follow. He could become a Talmud. The prostitute who believed that they were worthless and, and were told on a regular basis that they were worthless, they had no excuse. She could become a Talmud. The person who had to give up on their dreams no longer had an excuse. They could fulfill those dreams. Everyone here is welcome to follow Jesus. Jesus says anyone can follow. So what's your excuse? Are you too busy? Are you too focused on work or a relationship or your children? Is it because you're not proud of your past? Are you ashamed of what you've done or what you've become? Do you need to hang on, like some of us, to that little bit, that last little bit of control in your life? Is your money or your comfort preventing you from following Jesus? Jesus invites you as you are. He invites you full well knowing your past, your baggage, your history, your love of money, your love of self, your love of security, your emotional damage, your anger issues, your addiction, your deception, your hypocrisy. Jesus invited a man to follow Him who would betray Him, who would steal from Him, and who would sell Him to His death for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus means anyone can follow Him. But when Jesus said anyone, it created some problems. <laughs> and as we follow Jesus, it often creates problems in our lives. And it messes with us a little bit. Because when you start letting anyone into your congregation, anyone into your church, when you allow anyone to become a follower with you, you may have to confront qualifications that you have put on what it means to follow Jesus what it means to have faith, what it means to be part of a church, what it means uh, to disciple. And if we truly want to invite the unchurched, truly want to invite people in our community into this congregations, we have to realize we are asking for a lot of trouble. Because when people come here with no background, with no history, with baggage of their own, 
They may not know the songs that we sing. They may not know when to stand or sit. They may not know what a potluck is. They may not care about Methodism. They don't know maybe what UMCOR stands for or what an SPRC is. They probably don't care. Most of us don't care either, so it's kind of why we're here, right? And I'm not saying we approve of all things and we approve of all actions, but we invite all people and we realize sometimes that's going to mess things up. This is the difference between a fan and a follower. Fans don't know how to handle new and different people because they like people like them. They like things to be comfortable. They like things to be status quo. They like things that are safe. They like people like them, who believe in them, who believe like them, who act like them, who dress like them, who are them, in a sense. But followers are different. Followers want to listen to the brokenness. Followers want to confront uncomfortable situations. Followers want to take time to hear the story, to hear the desperation, to hear the call and the need and the desire to have a saving relationship with Christ. Followers want to serve, want to help, want to bring anyone they can into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Followers know that when Jesus said anyone, He meant it. So Jesus makes an open invitation, but he also makes it clear, and that's the rest of this passage, that if you choose to follow him, you are giving up anything or everything. So it's anyone but everything. Now when a Talmud accepted or was accepted by a rabbi, the Talmud followed the rabbi wherever they went. The Talmud went to the hospital or or, or to take care of the sick when the rabbi went, when the rabbi went to teach, the Talmud followed. When the rabbi went to minister with the family, the Talmud followed. But being a follower of Jesus Christ was very different in the context, in the time. Following Jesus meant not having a home because Jesus didn't have a home. Following Jesus meant associating with sinners and making yourself unclean because Jesus associated with sinners. Following Jesus eventually meant not fleeing from persecution. And for his disciples, it inevitably meant persecution as well. So that is the invitation Jesus makes here in Luke 9.23. He invites all people to follow him. The greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest teacher who will ever live, invites each one of us here tonight to be his student, to learn from him, to be transformed by him, and ultimately to have new life because of him. But when he says anyone, he means everyone. There will be other followers of Jesus Christ who you don't agree with, who listen to different radio stations, who have different political views, who have different social agendas, who look and act and say things that you may not agree with. But when Jesus says anyone and he means everyone, that leaves us with no excuses. There is nothing that should keep us back from following Jesus Christ because he allows anyone to follow him. But the invitation costs and comes 
with a great guarantee. It will cost everything. It will not be part. It will be all. So, given that, we continue on for four more weeks. Are you ready? Are you willing to follow a teacher who invites anyone and everyone? No excuses. Or are you just a fan? Amen. As we transition now to the third part of our worship experience, we are now kicking off our family and friends campaign. So let me outline the rest of the year here in terms of things that we're doing, uh, kind of campaign-ish kind of things. September, family and friends. October, we're doing a special ministry to the teachers of our daycare here. November, our stewardship campaign. December, it's Jesus' birthday. So we'll have some fun, and that's the rest of our year of ministry. So we are launching Family and Friends tonight. I've been telling you about it for like forever. So that you would have already done some of the work and prepared yourself. And when I said Jesus gives you no excuses, I also meant Family and Friends, no excuses. So I'm going to tell you how to do this, what you need to do, and why this is so important. Why is this so important? Because, God bless you all, you've been so supportive of this congregation, but this is a new church, which means we have nothing to our name besides the money that comes in every week and we spend most of that. So we need to build up collateral, maybe yes, to continue our ministry. Of course, we received $40,000 less from our parent congregation this year. Next year, we may receive less money from the conference. So we are uh, expected to take on more uh, and still not given a lot of time to do that. So this is a wonderful fundraising campaign to support the ministry of our church, maybe day-to-day expenses, maybe just to build up a fund so that we can have opportunities in the future. This is the best tool we have for fundraising. I do not want to do bake sales every week. I do not want to have a monthly turkey dinner. If we do those type of things, traditional church fundraisers, we will do them to support our community and we will do them to have missional uh, focus. We will do them to raise money for UMCOR or to raise money for Imagine No Malaria or to raise money for missionaries or to raise money for our schools. This is to support our church. And so we need everyone who is a family member of New Life to take this seriously. If you do not take this seriously and we are not here next year, feel bad. No, I'm just kidding. Don't feel bad. But I'm serious about this. We need everyone's commitment. I want to send 2,000 of these. Last year we did it very small. Jennifer and I sent about 200. I'm not going to give you a number. Send as many as you can. Do not think about who you are sending it to because do not believe that your family and friends, uh, you know their situations or you know the desires of their heart. Believe me, most of our family and friends can support $25, put it in an envelope and send it to a ministry that they support. Jennifer and I give money to all kinds of things throughout the year to our family and friends. People come to you at work selling useless things to you to support things that aren't very important. You are asking people to support a ministry that is going to transform lives and transform a community. That's worth supporting. And you are worth supporting. So don't be afraid and don't be ashamed to ask your family and friends because they love you and they believe in you and they support you. Are you encouraged enough? Okay, good. Okay.
So this is how it works. We're going to go over this for the next few weeks. All of the stuff is right there. There are four, four components. Four. There is a letter. I've written a letter. You don't have to write it. You put your family or friend's name on there. Dear Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And it tells you, I'm part of a new faith community. We would like you to support us. It's very simple. Very short. You take that. You put that in this envelope. There is another envelope that is a return envelope. And there's a card that goes in that envelope. So you take the card that's kind of the, you know, your information, the money kind of stuff. You put that card in the little envelope. Little envelope. You put a stamp on the little envelope. This is important. If you cannot afford stamps, I will buy them for you. No excuses. But put the stamp on. Because that will guilt your family and friends to sending us money. That's how it works. And you put the little envelope in the big envelope, and the big envelope is blank. Because you write your name. Because they don't want something from me. They're not going to open something from New Life or from Mark. They want to open something from you. And you handwrite it because then they'll think it's some like nice letter. And then you put another stamp on because that's how it gets there because that's our mail system, right? So two stamps per letter. Yeah, that's right. So you all understand how that works? We have them here tonight. We're going to have them for several weeks. Last year, we sent just a few, and we got several thousand dollars. This year, we want to send a lot and get a lot of thousand dollars. Hopefully, we don't have to go into this kind of money. We're going to put this money in a bank account where it is. The money last year is in a bank account. Hopefully, we can use that. Maybe we need a new drum set. Maybe we need new chairs. Maybe we need to start a new mission or a new ministry. Whatever. What, we, what do we need? New monitors. I don't know. Maybe that, that can be seed money for that. Remember, we are not 180 years old. We have no trusts, no bank accounts. We just started bank accounts this year. So we need all of your help. This is a fun thing. It's a prayerful thing because as we learned last year when we did this in a very small way, sometimes our family and friends are looking to connect. They're looking for us to see what we're doing how we're praying, how we're acting, where we're going, and what we are invested in. So this is a great opportunity, an evangelical opportunity, a fundraising opportunity, an opportunity to update your address books. Take it as it is, whatever you can do. All I ask is that you take some stuff. Uh, if you have extra, you bring it back. Or even better, you find more family and friends and you keep sending them out. If we are all invested in this, it will be successful. If it is just Jennifer and I, it will be partially successful. But if we all get in on it, uh, it will be a great, great effort. So I encourage you, this is an exciting time for our church, a wonderful thing. I do not want to do monthly turkey dinners. Please, no turkey dinners. Let other churches do that. Let's do this one thing, one year that works. Let's have a word of prayer now as we transition to the next part of our worship experience. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to follow you, to praise you, to be excited about you, to 
be transformed by you and then help others be transformed. Lord, we just lift up all of those hurts, all of those pains, this uncertainty in our world, and we just give that to you today. We lift up all of those who are making decisions, all of those who are leading us, all of those who are serving us. Help us be servant leaders in all that we do. Lord, most of all, we pray for your church. We ask that you just truly make us one as you are one. You truly allow us to have a voice, your voice, so that we can impact our communities in a wonderful and powerful way until your son Jesus Christ comes again and we experience your kingdom forevermore. Amen.